You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs. And just because he doesn't answer, it doesn't mean he don't care. Cause some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. All right, so I think you may have guessed this morning I am going to be speaking about unanswered prayers. For some reason my slide isn't up. Can we get it? There we go. So Gareth Brooks in his wisdom said that sometimes some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. But you know, I don't know about that because it can be really, really difficult when you're praying for something and it seems like God isn't answering. So what I'd like us to look at this morning is the why behind the unanswered prayers. Is there a reason that God isn't answering your prayers? And let's look at it together. Let's kind of break it down. See, are there blockages in our own life? Is there something going on? So I don't know about you, but I'm going to make a confession here now, and I'm going to tell you that I find prayer hard. I don't know if anybody in the room agrees with me. I don't know if anyone is brave enough to say that they find prayer hard. I find it hard sometimes to pray. I find it hard to put time aside in my day to dedicate it to prayer. I find it hard to pray for something when I feel that God isn't listening, maybe or that I'm not getting what I want. I find it hard to persist in that prayer. And as I was preparing for the message this morning, I remembered a time in my life where I was praying for something. I I was married a few years. My husband's name is Farid. I don't know if any of you know him. He's also a leader down in Cafe Church. And Farid and I had been married a few years, and we were hoping to start a family, and things weren't going according to our plan. Things weren't happening as quickly as we would have liked it to happen. And I remember that there were two brothers in the church that offered to come to our home and pray with us for this specific issue. So they came, we had a meal together, and we started praying. Now, I'm somebody that anybody who knows me will say, I'm a woman of few words, I get straight to the point, I cut to the chase, I don't beat around the bush. I don't like to talk on and on and on. You might disagree by the end of this morning, but I generally don't like to say things a hundred different ways. I say it and I move on. But these two particular brothers had an absolute gift for praying. And as we sat around our little fire and we prayed, they prayed and prayed and kept praying And I really struggled, I have to admit, I really struggled to stay focused. And I kept saying to myself, come on, Fiona, stay focused, bring your mind back, stop wandering. This is something that you want really badly. So focus and pray with these guys. So I'd bring my mind back and I'd think that I was praying and suddenly I'd realize I was out in the fields picking daisies. And they were still praying. So after a couple of hours of prayer, I had to bow out, I had to say, lads, I'm really sorry, but I have to go to bed. So these guys were staying over in our house. So I went off to bed and Farid stayed a little while with them. And then he slunk off to bed and they were sleeping in the bedroom beside us. I'm telling you, I didn't get a wink of sleep all night. These two brothers prayed all night long out loud. 
I couldn't believe it. I was humbled by their commitment to praying for something for me. And I was humbled by my lack of commitment to praying for something for me. I found it really difficult. And I still find it difficult to pray for any long length of time. I certainly wouldn't be praying all night long. But some people have that gift. But you know what? No matter what way you pray, you are talking to God at that particular moment. And he hears your prayer, whether it's a minute or whether it's 10 hours. He hears your prayer. And we're going to discuss that this morning because sometimes we feel that we pray for something and God is not hearing us. Sometimes we think he's not even listening to us. And we wonder why we're not getting an answer when other people around us seem to be getting answers to their prayers. So I want to look at it this morning together. Firstly, I want to ask the question. No, we're not. Not cooperating. Okay. So the first question is, what is prayer? Tim Keller, I don't know if you've heard of him. He is an American theologian, writer, pastor, and he defines prayer as a, is continuing a conversation that God has started through his word and his grace. So God started this conversation and we're just continuing it. So he started it through the, his word and through the grace that he has extended to us through his son, Christ Jesus. And we continue that conversation with him. But what gives us the right as fallen human beings to continue a conversation with the creator of the universe? Jesus Christ is what gives us the right. Through Jesus' death on the cross, you and I, who are sinners have the right to come into the very throne room of God because Jesus shed his blood for you and for I and he paid the price for our sin. We are able to come before God and we are able to stand there as children of God. Can we move? The... It says in Ephesians 2.18, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. That is the truth of the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. That we can come before God as our father. As a child comes to their father, so we can come before God and bring our requests to him. Isn't that wonderful news? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Roger. So, I want us to look quickly this morning at some of the promises that God has made in his word about prayer. Now, there's a lot of verses up on that screen. I'm not going to discuss them all. I want you to look at them. You can take a photo of them. You can write them down in your notebooks, whatever way you record these things. But this is just a snapshot of the promises that God has made with regards to prayer in his word. This is not a comprehensive list. It's not all of the promises. It is just some of the promises that God has made about prayer. And the overriding promise that God has made about prayer, according to all of these verses, is that he will answer prayer. That is what he has promised in his word. So if God has promised that in his word, why then do we all face situations where we feel like we have unanswered prayers? What is going on that makes it feel like we have prayers that are not being answered. 
Well, that's what I want to look at this morning. And I think that there are a few things that we can look at. And I'm calling these the M&Ms. Now, I do not have any M&Ms to give out, okay? In case that you're waiting for me to throw a few M&Ms out, it's not happening. Sorry. I'm just going to make you want them, and then you're not going to get them, okay? So these are the M&Ms. And the first M is motivation, okay? So... We need to question our motives when we pray. We need to ask ourselves, why am I praying this? Okay? Jesus, in Matthew 6, 5, when he was speaking to the people, he said to them, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. Now, what does he mean by those words? What Jesus is saying is that if you are praying so that others will hear you and be impressed by your words, you've already gotten your reward. The fact that people have noticed you and think that you are something is enough of a reward for you, if that was your motivation. So when we pray, sometimes some people like to be heard. They like other people to hear them pray, and they like other people to think that they are extremely spiritual. And they like the way they sound, and that's what motivates them to pray out loud. Now, does this mean, when Jesus says this, is he saying, don't pray out loud? In fact, don't let anyone hear you pray ever. No. Because he goes on later in Matthew 18 to tell us that where two or three are gathered, he is there with them. So he expects people to pray together. Corporate prayer is a good thing. So let's not misunderstand this. He is not saying, don't pray together at all. In fact, don't let anyone ever hear you pray. Not at all. There are multiple places in scripture where we are encouraged to come together and to pray for one another, to lay hands on one another, to minister to one another. But what Jesus is saying here is, check your motivation. If your motivation is so that you get noticed by other people, that's your reward. So Jesus will not be answering those type of prayers. You've already got your reward. The next thing that we can read in scripture is in James. In James chapter 4, we read, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Now, if we look at the first part of that, it's pretty straightforward. You don't get because you don't ask. Now, my husband often tells me, you know, Fiona, if you're trying to drop a hint to me, it's not going to work. I don't do hints. If you want something, come straight out and ask for it. And I don't know, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I think it's a predominantly female trait, don't stone me, to drop hints. Am I right? Would any of the men in the room dare to agree with me? <laughs> I think that as women, we have an uncanny ability to just say things like, oh, you know what, um, Mary was saying the other day is that they went to this lovely hotel. Oh, she said it was fabulous. She came back so relaxed after it. When really what we want is that our husband will go off and book that hotel for us then and whisk us away on a lovely romantic break. But Farad says to me, forget about it. You want to go to that hotel, you have to come straight out and ask me. <laughs> and you know what? For once, God agrees with Farad. 
God also says, if you want something, just come and ask me. It's as simple as that. Just come as a child to their father and ask. But James says, even when you ask, you don't always get, do you? Why? Because your motives are wrong. And that's the key. Our motivation, the reason why we're asking for something matters. Have you ever prayed for another person to change? Has anyone? Gosh, you're way better people than me. I've often prayed for someone else to change. I've said, God, I would just pray that you would show them that they were wrong and that they would come back and they would apologize to me and that they would recognize that they were wrong and unjust in that situation. Now, I don't know about you, but God rarely answers those prayers for me because you know what God wants is he wants to change me and he wants me to pray for changing me. And he wants me to pray that I would see my wrong in that situation. That's what he will show me. That type of prayer he will answer. But if you're praying for someone else to change, the likelihood is that God will only want you to look at yourself, not at the others. So check your motivations. Okay, that's our first M, motivation. When you pray for something, or even in prayers that you're waiting for answers for, look back. Ask yourself, what was the motivation behind that prayer? Was it the right motivation? Our next M is misunderstanding. I think that we sometimes have the wrong idea of what prayer is. Continuing in Matthew 6, Jesus goes on to say to the people, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. The Gentiles were the pagans of the time. They were the not, not believers in God. And he said, they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Sometimes, so the pagans had this notion that the longer they prayed and the more they repeated the same thing, the closer they got to getting an answer from whatever God they happened to be praying to at the time. And Jesus was saying to people, that's not how it works. Jesus does not want an endless list rep repetition of words. He wants a conversation. He wants real. He wants you to come to him. God wants you to come to him with a genuine prayer and a genuine need that you just simply say to him. That you don't go on and on and on and on. Now that doesn't mean that you can't pray repeatedly for the same thing. Not at all. Of course you can. You can come back and you can ask again. But again, just check in. Are you using prayer as some sort of a mantra to just go on and on and on and on? Or are you really connecting with God? Are you taking the time to think about the words you're saying and connecting as you would in a conversation with a person face to face? And you know, straight after this, in Matthew 6, he went on to teach the Lord's Prayer. So he gave the people a formula for prayer. So after telling them, don't just repeat endless words, he went on to tell them, this is actually how you can do it. And we all are probably familiar with the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, as we call it. And if you look at it very quickly, we're not going to, to go through it, but if you think about it, there's a pattern to it. And the pattern is that it is God first, then his kingdom, 
then our needs, then forgiveness, and then protection from evil. That's the pattern. So it's God first, then his kingdom, then our needs. So we're down the line, aren't we? And the other misconception that we have about prayer is that sometimes we see it a little bit like a magic formula. God has promised in his word that he will answer prayer. Therefore, no matter what I ask, I can have. And then we fall into this pattern maybe of what I call prayer blackmail. So it's a bit like saying, you know, your word has promised God that I can come before you and ask for whatever I want and you will answer me. So therefore, if I pray this prayer and you don't answer me, does that make you a liar? Does that mean, God, that your word isn't true? Does that mean, God, that maybe you don't even exist? And sometimes we even go to the lengths of saying, I'm not going to believe in you anymore if you don't answer this prayer for me. And I don't say that lightly. I know that there is brokenness. And I know that there is hurt when we feel that God is not listening. And I know that sometimes we feel like giving up. Sometimes we say, I just don't know if I can believe in you anymore, God. Because I keep asking for something and it's not happening. Or I asked you for that one thing and you didn't answer me. So I don't know if I can keep going. But that is a form of blackmail. It's holding something over God. And we cannot blackmail God. We cannot play with the living God. We have to learn that when we pray, it is up to God how he answers that prayer. And we cannot say the words, I don't know if you're even real. You didn't answer that prayer. You didn't meet me where I needed you at that particular time. I'm not sure that I can keep going and believing in you. We need to remember that our trust is in God, not in prayer. Our trust is in the living God, not in the prayer that we're praying. So if we put all of our focus on the prayer that we're praying and the answer to that prayer, the outcome to that prayer is what we believe in, we're going to fail. We need to trust that it is God who holds our prayers and God who holds our fate in his hands. And we trust in him because he is the one that saved us and he is the one that loves us. So let's be very careful about our understanding of prayer. And the S for M&Ms is same spirit. We must have the same spirit as God when we pray. In fact, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said that if we do not forgive others, we will not be forgiven. That's, that's tough, isn't it? Because sometimes we feel justified in holding on to our unforgiveness. They don't deserve to be forgiven, maybe. Or their apology wasn't good enough. Or maybe there was no apology. Why should we forgive them? But Jesus himself said, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. So you cannot come praying to God to be forgiven if you're holding unforgiveness in your heart. You have to have the same spirit as him. In 1 Peter 3, we read that husbands are to treat their wives well, treat her as you should, it says, so your prayers will not be hindered. If a husband is not treating his wife properly, his prayers will be hindered, held back, not effective. Now, before the wives in the room get all happy, it works both ways. Amen. All right. 
The way we treat each other, be it a husband to a wife, a wife to a husband, a sister to a brother, a mother to a child, the way we treat each other matters. We cannot mistreat other people and expect to be blessed by God. In the answer to prayer, key is, the key is obedience. If we read here in 1 John 3.22, it says, Ask and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. Because we obey him, we receive. Our behavior has to be honoring to God. For those of us that have children in the room, when your child is misbehaving all day and then comes and asks for something, they most likely don't get it, do they? And it's the same. If our behavior is not honoring God, our prayers will not be effective. Now, there are two traps that we can fall into with this sort of thinking, and this verse can be misapplied and misunderstood, so I want to clear those up this morning. The first trap is perfectionism. And by that, I mean that we think that this verse means I have to be perfect in order for God to listen to me. But I'll never be perfect, so therefore God will never listen to me and answer any of my prayers. That is untrue. God does not demand perfection at all. He knows that none of us are perfect. That's why he sent his son to die for us. That's why it is Jesus's righteousness that I have. That's why I stand before the throne covered in the blood of Jesus, because I will never be perfect. What Jesus is looking for is a heart that wants to obey, a heart that is turned to him. That's what he wants. You know, in Psalm 66, 18, it says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, God would not have listened to me. That's the difference, people cherishing sin means that you love your sin. It means that you're not ready to let go of it. You don't want to confess it and you don't want it to be gone from your life. So if you're cherishing a sin in your heart, God will not listen. We need to let go. We need to surrender it to him. We need to ask him for forgiveness for it. And we need to ask him to equip us to move away from it. And then he listens. So that's the first trap. Waiting to be perfect. You'll never be perfect, so stop waiting. All you can do is have a heart turned towards God, ready to confess your sins, trusting in the righteousness of Jesus. And the second trap that we can fall into is legalism. And by legalism, I mean, well, my obedience merits an answer. Because I am an obedient person, I deserve an answer from God. So we feel that we are owed something when we fall into this trap. And that is equally untrue because we don't deserve anything. Everything we get from God is unmerited favor. Everything. I don't deserve anything except death. That's it. But because of what Jesus has done for me, his grace gives me more than I could ever ask for, more than I could ever imagine. That's what his grace does. So don't fall into the trap of legalism. Don't think that you're owed something. Obedience is the response to God's grace. It does not earn anything. It is our response to him. And the last part of having the same spirit as God is to know the will of God. We need to pray in accordance with his will. 
We need to know his will in situations. But how can we do this? How do we get to know the will of God so that our prayers are more effective? I'm going to put forward four things that his word says. There are two ways, firstly, of knowing God's will in any situation. The first way is the word of God. And the second way is the Holy Spirit. The word of God reveals the heart of God to us. And the word of God tells us about the character of God. The Holy Spirit, Jesus left us the Holy Spirit as a comforter and as a guide. And we can hear from the Holy Spirit either personally or through somebody else. Now, I would put forward that the hearing from the Holy Spirit can be open to error. There have been situations where somebody has come and said, I believe this is what God wants to say to you. And it hasn't come to pass in my life. Because we're human. And human beings are flawed. And human beings make mistakes. So I would say to you, if you personally or through somebody else hear a word from the Holy Spirit, test that word. Pray about it. Ask God to confirm it through somebody else. Look in his word to see as his word. Back up what that person has said to you so that you don't make a mistake. The word of God, the Bible, is inerrant. There are no mistakes in it. Does everybody agree? But we sometimes can apply it in error to our situations. Sometimes we pluck a verse out of the Bible and we say, this is what God is going to promise for me. This is what he's saying to me in this situation. That's not always the case, is it? So again, pray about it. Ask God to confirm his word to you through several people. Ask him to show you another passage that backs up that first passage. Okay? But the word of God makes four promises of things that God will always, always, always do. The first thing, he will save all who call upon him. Romans 10, 13. If a person calls upon the name of God, they will be saved. So why do we sometimes see people in our lives that we've been praying for and they're not saved? Because God leaves the choice up to the person. They must call upon him. The person has to do the calling. God will never force his way into somebody's life. The person has to call. And as soon as they call, the promise is that they will be saved. There will never be a situation where somebody calls on the name of God and will not be saved. That is a promise. So if you're praying for somebody in your life that you want to see saved, pray that they would call on the name of the living God because he will answer that prayer. He will answer their call. So pray that something would happen in their lives that they would call. Pray that you would be used that they would call because they have to do the calling. So our prayers should be that people would call on the name of God. The second thing that God promises is that he will sanctify those he redeems. What does that mean? Well, the redeemed are you and I. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are redeemed, bought back at a price. That's what redeemed means. So Jesus, when he died on the cross, bought us back at a price, the price being his own life. So if we believe in, that, in, in, in Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection, then we are the redeemed. So what does it mean that he will sanctify? Sanctify means to make holy, to make more like Christ. So therefore, if you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, the promise of God is that he will make you holy. Not he might, not maybe, not you, yes, but you know. He will 
make you holy. That is his promise. So if you're praying about something in your life where you're struggling, be, be it with anger or resentment or bitterness or a sin in your life, another sin that I haven't named, whatever it is that you're struggling with in your life, know that if you call out to God and ask him to remove it and ask him to renew you and ask him to transform you, he will do it every single time. It might take time. It might take a long time. It might be difficult. It might be painful. But he will do it because he promised it. The next promise he makes is that he will supply all our needs. Needs. Not wants. Needs. So remember that when you're praying. And sometimes when you pray for something and God doesn't answer it and you say, but I need it, Lord, maybe you don't. Maybe it's not actually a need. Maybe it's just something that you want. And maybe your motives for wanting it aren't right. So God supplies all of our needs. If you're here this morning and you have a job and you can provide for yourself or your family, God supplies your needs. If you're here and you don't have a job and you're living off of welfare for the moment. God is supplying your need. If you're here and you're struggling to make ends meet, call out to God because he does supply all of our needs. Believe it because he promised it. And the last thing that he has promised is that he will work all things for good for those who love him. All things. And it doesn't always feel like that. But if you love God, know that no matter what situation you are in right now, no matter how dark it feels, no matter how alone you feel, God is working things out for your good. And it mightn't feel like it, and it might feel like a long road, and it might feel like he's left you, but he hasn't. He is working things out for your good. And how do I know this? Because he promised it. And he is a God who stands up to his promises. He is a God who keeps his word. And the last thing that I need us to look at this morning before we finish up is that God is sovereign. What does it mean when I say God is sovereign? Sovereign means the supreme authority. It means the top dog, the one who has control over everything and when we pray about things we can do our checklist we can run through our m&ms we can say i've checked my motivation and my motivation is right i have checked all of my understanding about what prayer is and my understanding is right i'm not using this as a magic formula i'm not blackmailing god I can check that I have the same spirit. Have I forgiven others? Am I treating others properly? Am I living in obedience to God? And all of those things can be right, and I still feel like God is not answering my prayers. At the end of the day, we must remember that God is sovereign. And so what I would recommend us to do is to include in our prayers these words, not my will, but yours be done. You know, Jesus himself included these words in his prayer. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was being arrested, he was praying. He knew what he was facing. He knew what was ahead of him. He knew the death that he was going to have to suffer for you and for I. And he prayed. And he said, God, if there is any other way, please, 
If you have a plan B, put it into place now. But at the end of the day, what he said was, but Lord, not my will, but yours be done. So I'm going to put it to you that you need to submit to his authority over everything. And when you are facing what feel like unanswered prayers, know that he is in control. Say those words, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And this is not a lack of faith. Sometimes people will tell you that you don't believe strongly enough, that you're not getting answers to prayers because your faith is lacking, not at all. When you submit to the sovereign ruler over all creation, you are not lacking in faith, you are displaying faith. You are putting in your faith in the one who deserves our faith. So don't ever listen to the words of the enemy when people tell you, you have not got enough faith. We're told that even the faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. If we put our faith in the right thing. So put your faith in the living God. And if you look at all of the the verses that I showed you earlier, you can come back and see I've underlined the things that God has said. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. So we must be in him in order to get our prayers answered. If we ask for anything that pleases him, If we seek first the kingdom of God, our prayers will be answered. If we pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, because we obey him, because we don't cherish sin in our hearts. So all of these things all add up with us submitting to the sovereign Lord. If we submit everything to God and are really, really acknowledging that he is God and he has the authority, then we will have answers to our prayers. And I'd like to finish this morning with a story from my own life. Coming back to that first story that I told you when the brothers were down in our home and they were praying for us to have a family. A few years later, I got pregnant and Farid and I were delighted and we were so happy and we so wanted this baby. And at about 13 weeks into my pregnancy, things started to go wrong. And I needed to go to the hospital. And on the way to the hospital, Farid and I prayed. And we prayed that God would protect this life inside me. And we prayed that what we felt was this answer to prayer growing in me would make it that this baby would grow and be born and be healthy. And we prayed that God would not allow me to lose this baby. And we prayed all the way to the hospital and we had family praying and we had friends praying. And we got to the hospital and the doctor checked me and scanned me and said, I'm really sorry, but your baby stopped growing at nine weeks of development. And my heart sank because he was telling me that my baby was dead. And I had prayed that God would give me this child. And now I'm hearing somebody say, your baby is dead. And so they sent me home from the hospital and said, there's nothing that we can do for you now. Your body needs to take care of this itself and come back in a week's time. So I'm, I'm leaving the hospital with the most devastating of news and uh, my faith is shook and I don't know what to do. So as we're driving home from the hospital, both Fard and I are we're silent and we're shell-shocked and we don't know how to handle this. And Fard pulled the car over to the side of the road and he looked at me and he said, Fiona, we need to pray. 
we need to praise God now. Because if we don't do it now, we might never praise him again. And neither of us had the words within ourselves to pray. So he said, let's sing. Now, if you knew Farid or I, that is the last thing that we should have been doing. I mean, that neither of us can sing. We're awful singers. And the worst of it is that Farage can never remember the words, not even a nursery rhyme. He cannot remember the words to a song. And yet he's looking at me and he's saying, let's sing. Let's sing a song to God. And I'm broken and I, I can hardly get the words out. So Farage starts singing the only song that he knew a few words of. And the song was, Blessed Be Your Name. And he looked at me and he said, sing with me, Fiona. And we held hands in that little car on the side of the road on the way home from the hospital. And we raised our croaky voices and we sang, blessed be the name of the Lord. And I don't know if you're familiar with the song, but we came to the point of that song where it says, you give and take away. And it had never been more true in our lives than it was in that particular moment. And the next line says, my heart will choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And you know, it changed everything. Absolutely changed everything for us. Yes, we were still grieving. And yes, we were still heartbroken. And yes, we still struggled as to the why of it all. But we knew he was in control. And we knew that he had everything in his hand. And he would work all things for our good because he promised us. And you know what? I went on to have three more miscarriages. And every time I chose to say, blessed be your name, Lord. And then I went on to have three beautiful girls. <laughs> Praise God. Because he is a God who honors and he answers prayer. And when he doesn't answer prayer, he knows why. And we may never know why, but in our brokenness, we must choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to call the worship band right back up and we're going to sing that song together this morning. And I would ask you all to stand and to join in. And my challenge to you this morning is, in your brokenness, in your place of unanswered prayers, will you choose to say, blessed be your name, Lord? Will you choose to say that this morning? We're going to sing together and then I'm going to come back up and we'll pray together.